It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kate Wenigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Michael Steindl. Hi Kate, hi listeners. Today we're going to be talking about the latest Bloomberg Energy Finance report on their forecasts about coal, gas, renewables and electric vehicles. To explain all this, we're going to have Sophie Vorath, Deputy Editor of Renew Economy, and she's going to, in fact, include a number of other articles that um, have come out since then. Hi, Sophie. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Hi, Michael. Um, Sophie, just quickly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to being Editor at Renew Economy? Yes, sure. Um, Well, it's actually got to do with kids as well, (laughs) because Uh um, when I was... uh, first doing business journalism at Business Spectator, um, which is some years ago now, uh, I had a, a one-year-old and was working there for probably a couple of years and second baby came along and when I came back from maternity leave, they didn't really know what to do with me because uh, I was quite tired and they had this um, guy called Giles Parkinson working on this thing called Climate Spectator and they mm. thought, oh, we'll put you on that with him and see how that goes. And um, it, it, that's really where it all started. I haven't looked back since then. Um, Climate Spectator became really successful within Business Spectator. And uh, when they sold it to um, News Limited, uh, we both left. And that was when Renew Economy started. And, and I've been with Giles since then. And it's just been an amazing experience. So busy, such a learning curve. Um, yeah endless things happening and, and one of the most exciting parts of the business sector to work in, I think. Yeah, it is. And Renew Economy brings out amazing articles all the time. In fact, I looked at the at the site this morning and all the, you've posted another three or four articles overnight. So I just think here we are yeah. talking about the Bloom, <laughs> Bloomberg report. <laughs> and, and in Australia, it's certainly the go-to source. Um, our listeners should, should – it's a free um, online – uh, newsletter that is the go-to source for climate information in Australia and what's happening. So Bloomberg Energy, um, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, BNEF, we'll probably call them, World Outlook, shows renewables are likely to end up dominating power generation by 2050, taking about the same yeah. share of the industry um, that natural gas and coal enjoy now. Your articles have highlighted the projection of renewables and, and batteries will provide 92% of Australia's energy. With a with a title, coal to be kaput by twenty fifty. Tell us more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's just a really bullish report from BNF. I mean, they've always been talking in in terms and long ago accepted that renewable energy was where we were all headed. But considering the politics in Australia at the moment, which has been particularly sort of <laughs> turgid, um, stuck in the mire. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was really refreshing to see this report and, and quite surprising to see that they think, you know, like 92% of 
renewables supported by battery storage in 2050 is quite astounding and, and you know, something quite essential for the politicians to take away and think about. Mm. Although I did feel it was a bit of, a bit sad that it's by 2050. I think it has to happen a bit earlier than that. Well, it does, and, and that's the thing, like, I mean, we get excited by these numbers, and I think that's a result of the politics we have here, as I've said. You know, I think we so often get bogged down in all of that and in targets and numbers and that kind of thing, but as the BNS report points out, even this kind of trajectory is not fast enough to avoid dangerous climate change. And yeah, we, we just do not have our eyes on the horizon, do we? We're, we're, we're... No, we don't. No. And that's where it firmly, they firmly need to be. And, you know, this is where targets and policies are so very important. I think that in our work, we get very sort of cited by the economics because we know that this is, you know, the most powerful part of it. And, and regardless of what certain politicians think and do, we, we're going to get there anyway. But actually, it is very important that the politicians get on board and that we stop having these silly sort of partisan arguments at a federal level and entertaining certain lines of thinking that are really kind of prehistoric now. Well, the head economist at BNEF says coal emerges as the biggest loser in the long run. Surely that would yep. be a little red flag for even the um, Liberal Party, the Federal Liberal Party. It's being beaten on cost by wind and PV for bulk electricity generation and by batteries and gas for flexibility. So the future of the electricity system will reorganise around cheap renewables. I mean, that's coming from Bloomberg and they're a pretty trusted source. They are and they're not, you know, they're not prone to sort of going off half clock. But, um, you know, the, 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 power, the coal lobby here in Australia is also extremely powerful and, you know, we're still very much wedded to coal at the moment. And I think the the problem here is that, you know, it's considered this sort of us versus them kind of thing when really it's not. It's, it's progress and it's just the way things are going. And I think what we need to see is letting go of this idea that, you know, somehow our economy is tied to coal. It's not any longer. And, mm. you know, people like Sanjeev Gupta are proving that by... Mm corporates buying up renewables and, and signing huge contracts for renewable supply and the, you know, so-called baseload green energy, you know, shows that we're making a, you know, a, a departure now. But yes, getting the politicians to accept that, you know, I think Tony Abbott just yesterday has threatened to cross the floor mm. over yes. the neck. So, yeah. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that a funny irony when you look at it? <laughs> Because, um, um, yeah, the, the various crossings. And I think what Turnbull crossed the floor because he didn't agree with Abbott and now Abbott's going to cross the floor because he doesn't agree with Turnbull yeah. following Abbott's targets. It's just the kind of thing Abbott will do, isn't mm. it, just because yeah. so, he can. But what you were just saying really highlights your, your previous answer too, that we're on the, the, the horns of this dilemma where we know that economically we're going to win but... In reality, that's not fast enough. We actually need attitude. We need the, our government to lead us and take us there, not just to wait for the economics to beat it. And, and that's so Absolutely. sad. It is, and considering that there's such a, you know, it's something they could crow about. I mean, this is a party that likes to crow about things, and mm. it's something they could really crow about. So, you know, it's, if we could just flip that and get that mentality happening where, you know, this is a... Massive economic opportunity for Australia. We've got we're 
spoiled with our resource, we're spoiled with our brains. Uh, if we could just get the policy behind it, we'd be pretty unstoppable and, and, it, and it would be for everyone's benefit. Absolutely. In terms of the global picture, the report estimated that about $11.5 trillion of investment will go into electricity generation between now and 2050. And of that, 85% or about $9.9 trillion will go into wind, solar and other zero emission technologies such as hydro and nuclear. That's a massive investment, isn't it? It's a huge investment and, you know, it's, I mean, it's already happening. All, all of the new investment in energy generation in Australia at the moment is all, you know, all in renewables. There's very little going anywhere else. As the report pointed out, there is going to have to be an increase in gas capacity for Australia, but it's going to be very different. Like, um, this is not going to be your big baseload plants or, you know, the expensive peaking plants that we've, we've built in the past. The important thing to note is just the entire way the system is being run is changing and, and it's not, we no longer have to make base load supply as it, as it was in the past and this is also where all the money needs to go. So as much as um, it's all about renewables, it's also going to be all about the supporting technology such as battery storage, such as um, demand management and demand response and all the behind-the-meter behind technology that, that everyone is working so hard at the moment to um, get, get up. So, Sophie, we have already partly discussed this, that basically we're facing the climate emergency. What does the... And, and are we going fast enough? What does the BNF report say about the predicted decline of coal and will it be dramatic enough to alter the picture of getting under that 2 degrees or 1.5 degrees, which is absolutely vital? It certainly is dramatic, the demise of coal. I mean, like as our headline said, you know, pretty much gone by <laughs> Coal's kaput. in Australia, yeah. <laughs> and in the world, it's sort of not quite as quick as that. I think it gets down, uh, you know, down to... Can't remember the numbers exactly, but 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 they're saying you know, we're still going not, to be not far behind. Yeah, we're still going to be burning quite a bit of unabated gas, aren't we? And so we're not going to get anywhere near what we need to for the two degree target. Yeah, I mean, as I think it was Matthias Kimmel said, you know, if we even if we decommissioned all of the world's coal plants by twenty thirty five the power sector would still be tracking above climate safe trajectory and, as yeah, as you said, burning too much unabated gas. And, you know, that's really worrying because you sort of see the power sector as being this um, great opportunity for emissions abatement, and it is. I mean, we've, you know, we can do so much in ours alone just by cutting out coal. But, yeah, there is the gas and we need to address the whole system, it's not just about targeting one area and as I said before it's about an entire system change a change in attitude to the way we deliver power much more distributed energy and you know and and just a wholesale change in thinking um, that needs to happen and particularly at political levels if we're going to meet the power Paris targets and and do what scientists have been saying for so long now that we need to do. Mm. So the other thing that really just always puzzles me is, you know, the Bloomberg report, as well as others, say that gas is going to keep its market share. Why doesn't pumped hydro and batteries take over that space? Because we do, as you know, say, urgently need to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions. Yes, well, that's 
an interesting question. And look, I think, you know, you, you ask certain people and it will. And I think battery storage, we've only just scratched the surface of what's possible with that. And I think everyone, perhaps even including Tesla, was surprised with the success of the big battery <laughs> straight away. And magnificent. And the, the shares in different markets that it took, the battery they installed in South Australia. You know, I think it will, but I think... Even people, you know, like Bloomberg and certainly um, the Australian energy market operator are very cautious about this kind of thing in terms of energy security and being realistic about what we need to support renewables at the moment. But I think technology has been amazing, you know, not just the price trajectory that's been going down, but just the learning that have been happening. And I think it's difficult to say in 30 years' time, what we'll be doing, but, you know, I would say that there's definitely the potential to wind back the amount of gas that we need. And, you know, and certain people would say we could do without it altogether, but I think more conservative groups like BNF don't like to say that. And gas does have that flexibility and we know it, we understand it, so it's something that we can talk about in the picture. But, yeah, there's there's plenty of work being done, particularly in demand response and, and smart controls and all of that kind of thing, shifting loads that will be really important and could significantly reduce the amount of gas that we have to use. Okay. Your latest article is, is about the 67% increase in electric vehicle sales in Australia last year, which at first sounds impressive and then you realise it's off an extremely yeah. low base. <laughs> and in fact, yeah. even um, that's 217 over 216, but 215 was actually substantially higher than 216, so it's really pretty pathetic. Yeah, we went backwards in, yeah, we went backwards yeah. in 2016, which was quite shameful. Yes. <laughs> but again, that's because there's a lack of government policy in that area. Yeah, so, Absolutely. So um, what is happening there? Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's really been a combination of we sort of started out a bit like the rest of the world and electric cars were coming out and you know, the early adopters were interested and others were interested and there was a bit of uptake and, you know, that was all happening on its own. But then nothing was taken up by government. No effort was made to push this. So I think probably what first happened is that car dealers saw no market for it. So they just stopped bringing the cars here. So we've got this, you know, we had, I think, five pure electric vehicles available to buy in the market last year and, and I think three of them were in the prestige range so well out of most people's price range so you know they just weren't the cars there so then that then means consumers who might be interested and who stick their heads out go oh, there's nothing there for me and move on and that's been a sort of really vicious circle that has seen us go backwards in, in EV uptake which is really really disappointing because again this is an area where we could we could lead and, and considering our uptake of renewables and, and particularly of distributed solar and rooftop solar, you know, there's no reason why Australia wouldn't want to adopt EV technology. And as we've seen with solar, the more people take it up, the, the, the quicker the prices fall and it becomes a, a viable economic proposition. So, yeah, I think really policy has been the gaping hole. You know, if we had, you know, even at a local level, state level, but most most importantly at the federal level, there's just no, I mean, you know, the most glaring hole is that we've got no vehicle standard at all, which is really sets us at No, no emission standards, did you say? No, yeah, yeah. no, no light vehicle emission standards, and so no, no guide telling people 
how clean their car needs to be. And we're basically alone in the Western world in that, aren't we? We are pretty much, yes, mm. very much. It's once again this, you know, right-wing... Neoliberal free market. <laughs> yes, that yeah. we like to say that is, is, is pushing back against it, you know, and mm. any time it gets talked about, there's sort of borderline hysteria in the media and in that part of the, the, car the coalition. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that you know, we we start talking about carbon tax on cars and killing off the car industry, the car retail industry. Where it effectively means we get we're the dumping ground for the worst cars in the world. Precisely, and while they seem to be sort of the heroes of the you know people who want to have their SUVs and stuff at the moment, this will not be a good thing, as you say. In, in mm. you know, just a few years' time, we'll have the most expensive, inefficient cars in the world. We're talking to Sophie Vorath from Renew Economy about the latest Bloomberg New Energy Finance report. Now, in that report, Sophie, it said 55% of all new car sales and 33% of the global fleet will be electric. That came out a few days ago or a week ago, and <laughs> then I read that it's now at 90%, according to an article you've just put out. Can you yeah, explain what's happening um... here? We're going a bit crazy with our electric <laughs> and, and vehicle even, uptake. Even that seems remarkably slow, given that Norway is already 60% of new car registrations last year were electric. Yeah, and look, every study that's come out, and there's been quite a few of them lately, you know, from Climateworks and other groups, just unequivocally shows the difference that policy makes. So the minute a government brings in a policy, the, the numbers change, you know, remarkably. So... And, and Norway, you know, people often hold Norway up as a shining example of that because they've introduced several core policies that I think are the basic kind of policies that the Greens would like to see introduced here and that I think, I think and I hope Labor are considering but just are not on the radar for the coalition at the moment. What's really interesting is that just yesterday, um, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation and ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, who are both obviously government-backed groups, have forecast that we could reach 90% of all cars on Australian roads be electric vehicles by 2050, which seems astounding considering where we're at at the moment. And, you know, certainly not where anywhere in the ballpark of what the federal government has said. I think they've, they've talked in terms of, I think, 15% of new car sales being electric by 2030. I think that's about as ambitious as that. 15%. 50%. Yeah. Oh, 50. Oh, yeah. And that's of sales. They're not even the cars on the road. No. And then... No, so... 100% by 2040. And it's interesting that that was actually a government commissioned report. Yes, it was. And, and done by AJ, who's a really reputable research group. And um, they did three, model three scenarios. And, and, you know, even in the no intervention scenario, they put us well ahead of what the government has said, which is interesting. So they're talking there about the economics that I guess the rest of the world is driving, where the cost of the batteries, which is the most expensive component of the electric vehicles, is coming down rapidly. We've seen that and we see some charts on that in the, in the Bloomberg story. Um, particularly of the lithium-ion batteries, which is what is used in electric vehicles. Mm. And so, you know, if if you pair some policy, what they're what they're basically saying is you, you put it just even the most basic, moderate intervention policy in, and combine that with the economics, and, and yeah, we'll have yeah. you know fifty percent of new car sales by twenty thirty. Sophie, is, it, is there any discussion or do you see any hope of a, a locally produced EV? There is one 
I think there's enormous potential for that, you know, and, and, and people like, again, Sanjeev Gupta have talked about it. You know, we've got this old, relatively recently abandoned car manufacturing infrastructure mm. that's there, and we have all this renewable energy, we have a need for industrial growth and new industrial growth. So, yeah, the potential is absolutely there. I mean, I think people like Elon Musk constantly show what is possible, mm. you know, with a bit of chutzpah. <laughs> And determination and, and some very uh, trusting shareholders. But, you know, it's doable, absolutely. And it just means that, but, you know, these things probably can't happen without someone like Musk or Gupta hmm. or without policy. So, you know, we really need to see it and we need to see it very soon. And, and at the very, very least, it needs to be a light vehicle emission standard. And then, you know, what people like the Greens and, and Climate Works and Everybody else has said is, you know, there are so many other things you could do to incentivise it that make a huge difference, such as, you know, electric vehicle transit lanes, you know, deductions on, on yep. taxes yep. people pay for their cars, which is substantial. We all pay our enormous registration every year. Mm. So yeah. if it, um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. The... Another big sleeper in the BNF report was the discussion of behind-the-motor storage. Tell us the significance of that. I mean, that's potentially really significant. You know, if you start looking at the... I mean, they also talk about the enormous amount of energy that's going to be needed for charging electric vehicles, which is also really interesting, which just, I mean, again, goes to this whole complete wholesale change of, of the way that we are going to be consuming energy, generating energy, you know, sourcing it, how it's going to be supplied, all of that. And this idea behind the motor is that you know, everyone will have rooftop solar. Mm-hmm. Possibly lots of people will have batteries installed inside their homes as well, but they will also have this fairly enormous battery in their car that will be sitting there doing not much a lot of the time. And that can be used to store energy, it can be used in demand response, it can be used for all sorts of things. And this is the kind of thing that people like Audrey Zimmerman at AEMO get very excited about because mm-hmm. You know, there's this potential for all of these resources to be used intelligently. And, do, do you uh, recall off the top of your head what sort of figures or percentages they're talking about for this? Uh, they're, they're talking about Australia being the most distributed grid in the world, aren't they? As, with their yeah. Choice. Yes, they are. Uh, another thing I heard, Sophie, was that if the uh, uptake of electric vehicles is as fast as they're predicting right now, by 2030 there will be... as much storage behind the motor as there would be for the new Snowy Mountain scheme that Malcolm Turnbull's proposing. Yes, and, and potentially able to be used a lot more flexibly than, than Snowy Mountain. I mean, again, I mean, that might have its place and that's all still very questionable. Uh, and, you know, I think there's plenty of debate to be had about that. That's, I think, again, coming from that the government, this persistence with the need for base load and they, they are sort of a wrong-headed approach to the whole thing that is sort of talking about huge amounts of capacity in one spot when that's not where we're headed. Sophie, we've only got a minute left yes. and I just wanted to touch on an article that you put out recently about CSIRO's new research project called Energize. Yep. It's part of their energy yes. use data model. Can you tell us about that? Um, well, that's a great uh, a citizen science program that which they seem to be doing a lot more of, which is great, I think, you know, and again, with the technology we have now, with mobile phones and apps and all of that, 
it's just a wonderful resource for them. And um, I guess they're asking consumers to, to to get their app, which is I have done. It's super easy. Mm. I did and, it over uh, half a sandwich yesterday. I downloaded and did the first two surveys. <laughs> so it's just called Energize yes, if you search for CSIRO. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And and there's, um, I think, three surveys straight up that you do, which take, you know, under a minute each. And yep. they're just um, basic information. But, you know, the idea of it is it's two-way street um so that, you know, they we give them our information about what our energy habits are and, you know, what our houses are like and whether we have solar or batteries or solar hot water or whatever else. And they give us tips um, from their experts about being more energy efficient and, you know, some of, some of the more um, opaque things that um, consumers don't still don't really understand, such as, you know, tariffs, and, and when is a good time to, you know, do four loads of washing and mm. that kind of thing. You know? Fantastic. And that's a win-win situation for both teams. It is, absolutely. So, Sophie, we're out of time now, so thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Pleasure, okay. Thanks very much for having me and thanks, Michael. Okay. We've been speaking to Sophie Vorath from Renew Economy about the latest Bloomberg Energy Finance Report. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, go to bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we hope to have you join us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.